You're listening to Short Ditch Radio. ShortDitchRadio.co.uk Hello, this is Shoreditch Radio and this is Licorice All Sports. Coming up on the show, the continuation of an epic World Cup as we reach the latter stages. The second week of Wimbledon where Murray is looking in sharp form and scheduling problems could hamper the chances of the top seeds. There's plenty of cricket action including a night test, county action and cook criticism. Plus Silverstone boxing action, Tour de France and big rivalries. Is that enough for you? This is Licorice All Sports on Shoreditch Radio. Hello, hello. This is Licorice All Sports. This is Shoreditch Radio. My name's Jamie and with me I've got Jim. I thought you were going to point to Cal there. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, no, we're going to do it the conventional way. I've also got Cal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the conventional way? Uh, what, the conventional way is... Best yeah. to last, yeah? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, hello. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, this is Licorice All Sports and we're back. And there's, well, it's a marvellous weekend of sport it has been. Um, we're going to start with the World Cup. Group stages are over. Um, England are back home. They can watch it with the, in the comfort of their sofas and, and, and bars here with the rest of us. And the latter stages, and well, recording on a, on a Monday evening, we've had over half of the second round matches now, and they've been absolutely fantastic. This this epicness, uh, if that is even a word, it's just continuing. Uh, it's just going up and up. And this is probably the best World Cup in in many a year. Um, what's what's been your highlight of well the last week or so? Well, just to echo what you said, it is the best World Cup I can remember. We've probably had four, five, five, five World Cups that I can really remember. Um, the amount of goals and every game you watch it and you think, okay, now you're going to have a dire nil nil draw. Um, but it just you know keeps on amazing us. Highlights from the last week. Um, it's got to be the uh, the shootout, the, um, the well, the two shootouts we've had so far, um, and you know that's what you get in the second round, which we've been missing in the group stages. Just been, you know, on edge and that tense sort of atmosphere. Yeah, that well, you know, yeah, going. that's it, isn't it? That it's that one game, you one mistake, and you're gone. Uh, what about yourself, Jim? I think the tournament's just been typified by these these late surges from teams. Um, some phenomenal finishes. I mean, you know, watching the Netherlands game last night. You know, dead and buried, and you know Mexico for my money deserved deserved the win there. But you know, it's it's just really kept you on the edge of your seat, and uh, you wouldn't want to be a betting man in this World Cup. I think there's been a few upsets. Not at all. I, I felt for Mexico. I also felt for Chile. I thought they they were absolutely marvelous. They they ran throughout the tournament as well. Yeah, they really have, and I I did genuinely think they would. Yeah, you know, they could have caused an upset in that second round, and uh, they nearly did. They hit the bar right at the end of extra time, and then. And then the penalties, you know, the the last penalty as well. I mean, just the nerves of having to take a penalty in Brazil, where you've got all these thousands and thousands of Brazilian fans just absolutely jeering you. Do you see the um the national anthems as well? They just they were booing the the uh, entire Chilean uh, national anthem. It was just so intimidating. And then they come out and they just, you know, the the passion and you know how much they sing that they just absolutely yell. Sing it, a cappella, don't, don't they? The last part exactly. Of it. It's just so intimidating and. I think Brazil they they played better uh, than they had done in the group stages and maybe you know this sort of scare really to you know, they almost went out maybe that will sort of drive them on and they I mean so emotional at the end of the game weren't they You talk about the pressure though don't forget this is Brazil playing in front of their home crowd with such huge expectations on their shoulders so the pressure for them was you know arguably greater than it was on Chile Absolutely absolutely and and again you'd watch Neymar take that fifth penalty and you think I wouldn't want to be there. It's too cool, though, isn't he? Well, I, th- I thought, you know, I, he was in tears at the end, and I thought he could have, you know, he stuttered his run up. He, don't don't start your run up. It, 
almost always fails. And I think it failed early in the shootout as well. But uh, yeah, cool, cool as you like, and uh, you got them through. And they're they're in the quarterfinals. Chile again, unlucky to go out, but they've they've gone out um, in the knockout rounds of World Cup. Every World Cup they've gone out in the knockout rounds has been against Brazil. What's that stat you were telling me about, Cal? I was saying four years to the day that Howard Webb just uh, refereed this game. He was actually refereeing at the 2010 World Cup, Brazil versus Chile, um, and it was a three 0 Brazil uh, win. So yeah, Amazing. four years to the day. Mate, same ref, brilliant. Uh, uh, do you know what? I don't know, I've got to say on Howard Webb. Apart from that one. Possibly controversial decision. I thought he did well. I Which he did controversial really well. decision? The one where he disallowed the goal um, okay. with uh, okay. Hulk. Was it Hulk? Yeah, it was yeah. Hulk. But you, you feel as well that you think if if he had allowed that to go in, people would be talking about it being controversial. So you know he could, he, he was never going to win either way. Yeah. Um, it was his linesman, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't and you could, yeah. you could see as well why it was given handball. Yeah, it, I mean it did kind of come off his bicep. Bold decision bit. to make that. It's, yeah, huge yeah. decision. But you know, again, arguably the right one. Um, yeah, Howard Webb had, had uh, an excellent game there. Um, but well, they're through. And they play Colombia in the quarterfinals. Now, Colombia, they are they're a different prospect to Chile, but they have played some equally fantastic football. I was thinking I'm going to call you Hammers and Hamey for, uh, <laughs> for the rest of the show. Um, yeah, I'd like to see you keep that up, actually. Oh, I'll try Hamey. Yeah, okay. Um, well, well, he's fantastic, isn't he? I mean, Rodriguez, he's scored an absolute star. He got both the goals in that match. Um, and he's just... Uh, top scorer at the moment with five goals in this World Cup. People do forget that uh, it was he was bought from Benfica for about forty five million euros from for Monaco. So he's not a complete unknown, um, but you know he's yeah obviously got a lot of talent and yeah, he's, he's, he's announced he's really himself really it. though yeah, hasn't he? Absolutely. I mean you know that is the stage to do it on. Inevitably been linked with Real Madrid already. <laughs> Still yeah, at the World Cup. Yeah, League One doesn't really get that much coverage over here. You know, no, probably no. very good reasons. It's a you know, a few teams dominate, but he's you know he's really set that tournament alight. Absolutely. You know, he had the same odds as Ricky Lambert to win the Golden Boot. Really? Mm. Still a chance for Ricky? Still? No, no way. <laughs> no, I'm dreaming again. Aren't they I? look good though, <laughs> Colombia. They look great. Yeah. Um, and I think they could be a surprise package that could go all the way. Could, could they? So you reckon they could do it against? I reckon Brazil? they could go all the way to the final. Okay. Yeah, I reckon if wow. they beat Brazil, well, then if they beat Brazil, they can go completely all the way and win it. Um, I, I, I just still think there's a shock in here. Like we haven't seen any real shocks in this in the second round. No, not um, yet. No, I mean obviously we saw we saw well we saw Costa Rica beat Greece on penalties. Um, again, not really a shock, but you know Costa Rica did fantastically well considering that a, a, a man sent off their keeper went then injured, got through on penalties, and they faced quarter final against against the Netherlands. Uh, who well they were they were outplayed most of that game, but they they changed it up and uh, managed to get two very very late winners. Uh, yeah, equaliser winner right at the, right at the death there. Got to got to feel for the Mexicans. For, you know the the keeper sort of typified the he the was battling spirit fire. they had. Yeah, I like the one that is sort of half hand half forehead onto the post from point blank. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I mean the Robin debate will be would have been done to death today. Um, everyone knows everyone knows that's the game he played. I, I find it very very interesting that he's come out and apologised for diving earlier in the game. Mm. Um, perhaps just to take a bit of heat off himself. Yeah, I mean, neither of them were the convincing. Really, he's very, were he's very flamboyant, but I, I, I kind of see why that was given the, the last one. Yeah, the, the defender does Marquez. Catch him a bit, he, he does step on his foot, and you think, okay, yeah, he does, yeah, fly about six feet into there. You're never going to do that if somebody steps on your foot. But at the same time, try running when someone steps on your foot is kind of hard to do. So, um, not advocating the earlier dives or anything, but again, probably was actually a penalty. But there was time. one earlier on in the game where he could have easily have gone over and yeah, nobody probably right, would yeah. have said it was a dive. He could yeah. have 
He had quite a few chances as well, because I remember that one. He he went past the player, sort of leaped over the defender's leg, and then you think, square it, and he didn't. He just had a shot, and you think, they could have wrapped this up a lot earlier. And that was a game as well, the first one in this World Cup, which had uh, cooling breaks uh, midway through each half, because it it got so hot there. I think they measured about 38 degrees um, at at one point in the stadium, and there's certain levels of... Uh, temperature where they say right we'll, we'll have a break uh, each way during the half and obviously it gives them a breather and it gives the managers a chance to you know, give some tactical instructions and uh, Van Hal said that that's what helped them in the particularly in the second half but really uncomfortable I mean you look at the crowd as well if you if you look back at the highlights of that game um, you see like where the where the shadow is and you know where obviously the sunlight is nobody is sat in the seats which are in the sun because it's just so so hot and that's just sitting there and you think, how are they playing a football match, a competitive football match in a, in a World Cup finals is beyond me. Um, but that's see, that, see you in Qatar. Yes, uh, eight years time. That's a different story. We won't get onto that right now. Um, and we also saw France um, beat Nigeria 2-0 um, just before coming on air. And, um, well, they're looking strong as well. You know, they've, again, probably would have expected to win that game against Nigeria. But still, they're into the quarterfinals. Potential clash um, against Germany or Algeria, who play later this evening. Um, Algeria, by the way, have a perfect record against Germany. They have won both of their games that they played against Germany. Uh, I think once in the 60s when, when they st- Algeria first started playing. And also, um, check it out. I'm sure people have mentioned it. You've probably seen it on, on various sports websites. The 1982 World Cup, in which uh, Algeria were cruelly um, denied. It was the first World Cup they qualified for. Cruelly denied uh, a place in the, in the latter rounds because uh, Germany and Austria played out a... Um, a pretty tedious one nil win which saw them both go through and uh, that was the yeah the, the result they needed for them both to go through in Algeria to go out because Algeria beat Germany in the group stage early on and uh, so they're, they're after revenge this evening and uh, Algeria you never know yeah, I, I certainly don't see it happening but as I said earlier I still think thinking back to the cup and correct me if I'm wrong has there been a result which um, you know, a minnow has beat someone they uh, someone who, who should have won convincingly I don't think there's you know, the Spain-Holland, which was a bit of a shock result, but well, you haven't in, had that... In this tournament. In this tournament. And um, it hasn't... Well, Costa Rica, beating both Italy and Uruguay in the group stages. Yeah, I don't think that's a massive shock, though, leading up to that. I, I suppose, think... yeah, they're yeah. 28th in the world, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just think there's something to come which will get the world talking. Um, I don't see that being Algeria. Never um, know. But, Never know. Yeah, by the time this goes out, we will. Belgium-USA is quite hard to call for me. It is, um, it is. Klinsman yeah. has come out, by the way, and said that his players, they've changed their flights, said families just... Change your plans to be here until after the final. But, um, so they're very confident, the USA. But yeah, tough game to call, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Belgium, you know, there was a, quite a bit of pressure on them before this tournament started because, you know, the star studying, they found themselves, found themselves with this amazing generation of players, um, you know, pretty blessed. And But the US, they've sort of, I, they've been phenomenally hard working. I think there was a stat that, you know, some of their players have covered the most ground in the tournament or something along those lines. Um, I think if we're talking about an upset, I mean, would you see that as a big upset? No, not at all. Not the way they played. I not an upset. I mean, Belgium have been they've been solid, but they they've not set the world alight. You know, they've ground out wins, which is obviously a very important trait to have in a World Cup. Um, and you can remember they won all their groups group matches. Yeah, they beat Russia and, and um, Algeria and, and South Korea. Um, but yeah, USA could could do that because they've well, got some very good results. Belgium, well. you know, waiting on the fitness of company and for Marlon as well. You know, so couple of big players for them there so you know we, we know how much of a difference company makes the city mm. um you know if he's missing then there's a big opportunity there but 
I'd like to see the states go far. I think uh, the reaction in such a big country. Have you and... seen? Um, well, both of. Uh, sorry to stop you in mid-flow there, but have you seen both um, Teddy Golzevelt, um who's just like this? Well, it's it's a PR stunt, but it's uh, it's just this giant uh, man in cowboy hat and all that, and also the the chanting. Um, so I believe that we will win. Um, well, it's it's just incredible. It's, it's I mean, the the level of enthusiasm you get from American sports fans. And you think, oh, it's just corny if that translates across to football, but it it, it doesn't. It kind of yeah, that passion and that positivity. You think, oh, why don't we just go for that? Why don't we just go? Yeah, we believe that we'll win. The one of the um, one of the the newspapers uh, in in New York uh, had a giant picture of the yeah the World Cup trophy, and then it said, now let's go get this four games from four games from glory, uh, or from history or something. And you think. If we got through to the second round, we'd be like, okay, we're in the last sixteen. Oh, tough game coming up. Not we're four matches, four wins away from winning the World Cup. But yeah, I think that's you know it's the expectation. I didn't have any expectation to get out of the group. Um, it's not the biggest sport in the country. Um, but they do think believe that they'll do well. But I think if this was, I don't know, if they had a World Cup, a basketball World Cup, or a baseball World Cup, and every other country was competing. And they weren't getting as far, you know, they didn't get to the next round or to the quarterfinals. I think they'd have that same level of, um, they wouldn't have that same level of optimism that they do. Yeah, you make a good point, actually. It's kind of like one of the only sports where they do compete against the rest of the world where they're not yeah, overwhelming favourites. Same as like the Aussies. That. I put yeah. them in the same bracket as the Aussies. Um, if they were to have got, you know, through their group, it would, it, you know, they would just be happy to be where they are. They wouldn't necessarily think, you know... I'm with, I'm with Jamie a little bit. There is still that sort of bravado and you know that sort of ingrained positivity, which let's face it, England fans don't tend to to share when it comes to big tournaments. Which you know must it must transpire to the players, you know, at some level. It's the media, isn't it? And we say this week in week out. It's the influence that the media has on the England team. And I'm sure this is a conversation for another show. But in terms of how they've got on Rooney's back, they've always got to find something in each World Cup. And of it's course, that... sensationalist stories sell papers. That's why they do it. That's why they're classed as donkeys and the worst team ever. That kind of thing. And you know, I mean, yeah, we we've uh, given our views on the England team as well. But it's it's just. It's just wrong, I think, the, the way it's all covered. And you're right, it's, um, we do sort of get on their back for almost no reason. But what the States, and I'm probably going against what I've just said here, but you know they play like a team, and that's something we didn't necessarily see with England or you know what we expect from England and we didn't get. But um, you know, they're a great example of people that put in that work ethic um, and, and they're getting the results they need. OK, OK. Um, we're going to move on, but before we do, I'm going to ask again, uh, have you changed your mind about the the winners and uh, what are you most looking forward to this week which game are you most looking forward to um to be honest with you i think out of all the group games the probably the decent ones were in the first two days mm. um so i'm looking forward to seeing what the quarters holds um start on friday the quarters friday and saturday so and the first game is uh, will it be uh, probably i think it's france and germany or france and, and germany or algeria but brazil colombia is on friday night and oh that'd be so. a tasty one I, I, i'm really looking forward to um is it holland costa rica yeah and i think that's one which you could uh there could be a surprise sprung i'll tell you uh, what it could be as well what do you reckon uh for me i'm really looking forward to um argentina switzerland tomorrow night um you know this t- the story of sort of two two left-footed players messi's had a fantastic world cup and you know, has answered a lot of his critics in that respect. But Shakiri is, yeah, as well. You know, we talked about how so hit and miss at, at Bayern has sort of failed to make a, a lengthy impact there. But he's been fantastic in this tournament, and we've seen, you know, probably him at his absolute best. So, you know, he's the sort of player that could make a difference in that game. And Argentina are now one of the strong favourites. 
um, you know, potential upsets there. Absolutely. He's in a relationship yeah. with PKs. Oh, no, that's Shakira. Sorry, go on. <laughs> go on, carry on. That's Paul. That's Paul. Uh, I was going to say Germany-Algeria tonight, but by the time this comes out, that match will have already been played. So I'm going to go with the, the quarterfinal, the all presumably all-European quarterfinal between France and Germany. You'd expect that to, to be the case. Uh, that's going to be a very huge match-up and uh, tough to call as well. But all the quarterfinals, um, I just don't want it to end. Really don't want it to end. I think after tonight, we've only got 10, 10 matches left. And one of them is a third-place playoff, so nobody really cares. But <laughs> have you changed your mind about winners? No, I mean, I, I said Germany. Uh, there are others now that are cropping up. But, yeah, I'm going to stick with what I said. I think Germany, um, although they didn't look too convincing against uh, the States. Um, no, they didn't. And Ghana. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I still got, I think they're machines yeah. and they'll do yeah. it. Yeah. Jim, who, who are you fancying at the moment? Um, Tournament-wise... I've, I'm, I've, I don't know. Left field, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Holland. Wow. I think okay. key, well, key players starting to perform at the same time. We, know, we even saw Schneider, who people have written off of being past He's his not best done with for a, four years. So. That, was a, that was a fantastic <laughs> yeah. goal last night. You know, the you know, Van Hal there. He's so tactically astute. I just think they they seem the most adaptable side in this in this mm. tournament. You know, they they went out against Spain all guns blazing, and uh, it wasn't great last night. But they've they've had what it takes to get over the line. So. Okay. Just because I like to go left field, I'll go Holland. I like that. I'm sticking with Argentina. I think they're again growing into the tournament well, and yeah, they've they've got well, not the not the toughest of draws. You know, they should beat Switzerland. You you feel you know it's a tough game, but they should be favourites. And then uh, Belgium or the or the USA in the in the quarterfinals, and yeah, who knows, who knows. But I'm just like I said, I'm just looking forward to the rest of the tournament. It's um, dominant to end. Okay, um, we are going to move on, and we're going we're to talk Wimbledon. Could we take a cooling break first? Yeah, we could. Um, we're back after this commercial break. Okay, this is uh, Liquor Resource, but sounds shortish radio. And um, yes, Wimbledon. We're in the second week, and uh, but for some people, it's still the first week because there's been huge problems with the rain and uh, some scheduling issues, which means that players are going to have to play extra games, uh, you know, day after day. Stan Wawrinka, the, the Swiss, who won the Australian Open in January, he's he was won his third-round match today, um, but he was supposed to play his fourth-round match today, which he has to play tomorrow. And should he win that, you know, quarter-final on the Wednesday, five games in seven days to win a to win a, a Grand Slam tournament, it's, it's a big ask for him. Um, and it's also affected Nadal and Federer as well. They've got to play their matches tomorrow because they wanted to all be even. Um, but it's you know, massive benefit to Andy Murray, who's already won his fourth round match. He'll have a day's rest uh, before his quarterfinal matchup. Uh, we were watching it just before we came on air, and he's looking strong, isn't he, Carl? Yeah, he's looking great. I think um, there were some question marks around his form coming into this tournament. Um, you know, but by yeah, us, by us. Um, I think you know. <laughs> no, you said he'd gen- win, actually. Yeah, I did. But the general public, that you know, mm. there's been some question marks. But you know, you put him in in a, in a scenario where he's so comfortable. He hasn't lost since um, the, he, uh, the 2012 Wimbledon final. Yeah, I think it's like Federer. 15 or so games or something. Yeah, but he won. Yeah, won the Olympics, obviously at Wimbledon. Then the following year's tournament there. So it's 16 matches. Might yeah. be 17 now after today. I'm not sure. And yeah, he's looking phenomenal. He's mm. looking absolutely great. And coming back to Nadal and Federer. You know, it's a luck of the draw. I mean, it's happened to Murray in the past. Yeah, it's happened yeah. to others in the past. And what we were saying earlier is that, you know, they might be playing in consecutive days or, you know, only after a day break, but it depends how convincingly they win that match. If they go out there like Murray did the other day and win in an hour, you know, two, two hours maximum, you know, and then they can go back, they can rest. It, I don't know how much of an effect it has. Um, I think we also made the point that Nadal, you know, he, he needs he needs time out there. Um, and if he does go four sets... You know, he it might just be to to his benefit playing. Yeah, playing well, he's, he's doing that the, the at the moment. Trans- he's gone one set down and 
in two games really. Yeah, it, so. yeah. The transition from clay to to grass is he's always found that tricky, and yeah, he's won Wimbledon a couple of times already, and you know, coming off on great form in in the French Open, but uh, he lost in the in the warm up uh, a couple of weeks ago at Eastbourne. Uh, he's lost in the early rounds of Wimbledon, second round and first round in the previous two years, but he's still there, and he's like you say, giving more game time, giving more practice on on grass against you know competitive game time as well so. don't forget he came off a long injury the last two times he's won and you know he wasn't really fully fit um, I still think he'll, you know he could he could go really far I really do. I, of I don't course think, you can't write off Nadal you can't write him off and I think yeah like I said I think the fact that he's getting the sets in um, you know he could lose one set but if he wins the other th- uh, three convincingly mm. you know and he spent the same amount of time on court than Murray may have done winning three sets 7-6 seven, 7-6 six, seven, six, seven, six, you know that he's no worse off he's just had more Sort of yeah, practice, you yeah, know, he's gone yeah. through the motions a bit more. Um, I still think it's Murray's to win, though. I, I think if he can get if he can get past Djokovic, he's got. Well, it. that's the thing. I mean, David Ferrer was in his quarter, so he was due to play a quarter final against Ferrer. Ferrer's out. He went out in the early stages. Um, should be um, Grigor Dimitrov, who's the eleventh seed. Um, in theory, he's. I think his uh, match got suspended yesterday. Uh, yesterday, well, on Monday yeah. when we're recording. Um, so he's still playing that, but he was up in that match. Um, Dimitrov, I think. I'm right in saying I think he's the man who won Queens. Yeah, he's really good, really, yeah. really good. Well, he's yeah. 11th in the world, so yeah. he's, he's got to be decent. I think he has won now. Yeah, he's actually won his match. Yeah. Okay, so that's And I don't think that 11th Wednesday. does him justice. I think uh, the, I've read a few things saying he should be higher. He's he's a real talent. So yeah, Bulgarian guy. So it's it's going to be, again, big step up for, for Murray. But, you know, he had a step up against Anderson, the 6 for 8 guy, the huge serve. Yeah, raking forehands, yeah, scorching forehands, which yeah, we he got some great winners in that match, didn't he? But um Murray seemed to have his number, Murray seemed to yeah, manoeuvre him across the court and, and, and just create that space and just hit some great returns and, and that's why he's in the court final. Have you guys noticed there's been a you know, there's no there's not the same expectation this year on Murray because he's won it before. If you think back to the years of Tim and even Murray over the past five yeah, or six years, yeah. the whole country sort of goes Wimbledon crazy. Yeah, there's a bit of a buzz. And you've um, got a World Cup on as well, so that's help, that's probably helping him with the expectation levels. Yeah, absolutely. But mm. I think the fact that he's already won. Um, I, th- I know what you mean. I, I think the expectation is is there. I think it's less the just that pressure, um, you know, from from the media and from the crowds. It's perhaps it is almost an increased expectation for him to just sort of breeze through to these latter stages of the tournament which you know again probably could affect him in, in a positive manner I, li- I like the way we got a bit of an insight into how he prepares for different opponents you know the fact that I like we, that yeah yeah that we you know found out that his coach was whacking serves at him from the service line you know six foot eight mm. you know um you know he seems to be doing all the right things but I, I actually think it's a bit of like you say obviously there's a pressure off him having won it before um, but in terms of the expectation, I think we we kind of just expect him to to be there at those latter stages now. Absolutely. The thing is, if he wins this, he'll really set his legacy. I mean, winning it once he already has, but you know, to win it, you know, back to back, I think it'd be great. Oh, it, he's got a, he's got a real chance, real chance. And I think, I mean, Djokovic, Djokovic is Djokovic. You know, he's a, he's an absolute machine at times. But you know, Murray's got his number. Murray yeah. knows how to beat him. So I'll tell you what, we'll tweet this uh, from at Sports Licorice, which is uh, Murray doing keepy-uppies with a tennis ball. I think he got to 70-odd. Yeah, I saw that. And is it Tim Hemman as well did it, and he got like 90. And then there are a couple of footballers who've got six. Yeah, I think it might have been Seidorf, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, someone like that. But uh, yeah, they're talented players, actually, those uh, those tennis stars. Um, Okay, okay, we're going to move on into... Oh, where do we go? Where do we go? Um, I'm just going to quickly mention cycling, um, just to mention the Tour de France, the, the UK 
uh, leg. So first three stages or pre-tour stages are, are in the UK. Starts up in Leeds. There's a stage coming from Cambridge to London as well. Um, Bradley Wiggins, or Sir Bradley Wiggins, we should call him, 2012 winner, the first Brit to win Tour de France, will not be racing for Team Sky or indeed for any team um, at the Tour. Um, he's He's been left out of the team. Uh, Froome is going to be uh, the man leading the team as defending champion. Um, I think it was. I think it was pretty much an issue of how Wiggins didn't really want to be the support because, it, it, as part of a team, um, for those who aren't aware, you've you've got basically one cyclist who you will support, and there's, there's a lot of. It's a bit like F1 in that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of you know. There's a team of eight or nine, and uh, you'll sort of ride in a pack, and it'll make it easier for the the lead to uh, to cycle, and then he can break away right at the end and and win stages and and get good times and things like that. And uh, Wiggins, well, he's he's not going to be a part of that team. Um, he's actually going to join up with um, with England's track and road side for the uh, Commonwealth Games up in Glasgow. Um, but Wiggins uh, and well, Froome actually in 2012 when Wiggins actually won it, Froome was supporting uh, Wiggins, and he I think one of the stages, like 10th or 11th stage or something like that, he actually broke away from the pack and tried to you know make a break because he was up there as well. He was like I think he finished second or third that year. So it was it was yeah, he there for the taking. He was trying to put pressure on it, but he disobeyed team orders and uh, he got in a bit of trouble for that. And uh, they've had a frosty relationship since. So it's uh, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's probably the right decision it's not a lot to of have politics, isn't there in cycling? It's a lot of politics. I mean, cycling and um, and things like F one as well, which I was going to bring up because uh, we've got Silverstone this weekend. And uh, Rosberg and Hamilton, they've been at it all season. The, yeah, Mercedes, both Mercedes drivers, both first and second. Rosberg's got a bit of a lead now in the in the drivers' championship there, but uh, they don't like each other, and they don't like the fact that you know the, one of them gets preferential treatment at times if they're leading in the race. Um, and well, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it, such a, a intense rivalry when you're on the same team? I mean, would it help or hinder certain people? You know, I mean, presumably it would hinder these. Um, yeah, Formula One drivers who taking bigger risks to try and catch up, things like that, and uh, taking bigger risks to you know because it's your opponent who you don't really like, even though he's your teammate. Um, and obviously, uh, hind- well, didn't hinder Wiggins in the end in 2012 with the Tour de France, but it could have done if Froome decided, no, I'm having this for myself. So it's about managing yeah. stars yeah. and managing personalities. And we said this on the show before, especially if you look in a team sport like cricket. How do you manage Kevin Peterson? He's your star player, but there's other players there. Um, you know, how do you give them equal sort of slice of the pie? And I think it's the same there. You know, how do you manage them personalities? It's tricky, isn't it? It's um, I mean, both of them are well, Wiggins and Froome and uh, Rosberg and Hamilton, all very driven uh, athletes, driven sports people, and uh, probably don't like being a second fiddle. Um, and particularly when you're in, because yeah, even if it is a team, it does. It's, it's still an individual sport to a certain extent, isn't it? You, you know, you. you the, the winner isn't Team Sky for Tour de France, it's Chris Froome or it's Bradley Wiggins. And the winner of the Drivers' Championship isn't, well, they've got constructors, but the Drivers' Championship is always Rosberg or it's Hamilton. It's this one person, so it's it's, it's a bit weird, a bit unusual uh, setup, and you don't get that in many other sports. OK, um, I'll, I'll, a lot of cricket to get through, but I'm just going to quickly do boxing because um, we've got Nathan Cleverley fighting in a couple of weeks' time, but Ricky Burns as well at the weekend. Yeah, so Ricky Burns fought at the weekend. Um, he It was his sort of another homecoming fight in Glasgow, so he lost his world title to a guy called Terence Crawford, who also won at the weekend, who's now going to be a, a global superstar. So Ricky Burns lost to him, people thinking, oh, he's a bit out of his depth here. Ricky Burns is a two-time world champion. 
Um, I think it just goes to show his performance at the weekend with someone who's fringe world level. You know, he's he's not up there, um, and he lost. You know, he got mm. he got outclassed. He got knocked down in the first thirty seconds. He's not been the same boxer since you know his last few defeats that he's had. Um, and I think it just goes to prove that he almost lucked his way to two world titles. Well, Barry Hearn said he's, his career's not over, but he's not going to be getting a, a world title fight anytime soon. No, well, he's lost to someone who's nowhere near world title level. Mm. Um, but what he should do now, I think he should acknowledge that, you know, he's run his luck. He's got where he's wanted to do. There's some big fights out there where he can earn a lot of money domestically. Um, and it's, you know, boxing's a funny thing because you, you could go and fight another British boxer and earn a lot more money than you could going for a world title. So what do you want more? Do you want the money or do you want that world title? If I was him now, he's not going to get another world, world title shot for a while. If he does, you know, he'll come unstuck against some of the best in the world in that division now. Um, so, yeah, it's a shame to see because he was real good for Scottish boxing. Um, he's inspired a lot of uh, young Scottish boxers to come through. They put a, Matchroom Sports been putting a lot more shows up in Scotland. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that, you know, he, he got undone again. Um, but he seemed to, he got knocked down, and we see it in boxing, got knocked down in the first round, and he didn't, his head didn't really clear until like the sixth or seventh round. And by then it's too late. He's, you know, he's down on all the, all the cards. And... Is that just the, the impact of the hit, or is that yeah. the psychological thing of being hit, knocked down so early? I think it's a bit of both. Um, it's the fact that you're, um, he's fighting at home in front of his home crowd. Okay. We've seen it before with. Um, David Price, he fought twice in Liverpool, lost both of them when he was undefeated. So he lost once, tried to avenge his defeat and lost again to the same guy. Um, you know, if we talked about earlier about Brazil and Chile, you know, the expectations of fight, you know, playing or fighting at your home crowd. So I think that played a part in it. And to be honest with you, Jamie, I just don't think he's good enough. Um, and, I, you know, I genuinely think he lucked his way to mm. the top. Well, they're, they're not all going to be good enough, are they? No. So, it just okay. shows there's so many different belts that you can get that, you, yeah. you know, in boxing. There's four different world title belts that you can get that sometimes there's an easy route to get there. Exactly. Um, and exactly. get a full sense of how good you really are. Mm. And the, the build-up to Cleverley as well, which is on the 12th of June. Yeah, so we're, the next big all-British fight will be Cleverley versus Bellew. So they both went from um, a light heavyweight up to cruiserweight. Um, they had a fight ages ago, which was really controversial. They hate each other. Um, they mo- both moved up weights. They both now so- both now boxing for Matchroom. Um, so they both sort of it's called collision course, um, where they're both going on their own course to fight each other, and that be another big money domestic fight. Um, I just wanted to quickly say I mentioned last week that Kel Brook, who's fighting, um, is, is going to now be in September against Sean Porter for a world title. Yeah. And I maintain now if Kel Brook wins, which he's got, you know, he's got every chance. Porter's undefeated. If Kel Brooks wins, he'll be a pay-per-view star in Britain. Um, wow. And if he wins, he'll and Amir Khan will want that fight. They've hated each other since the amateur days. There's the backstory of Brooks says that he put Khan down sparring. Khan says it's not true. And, you know, I'm saying it now, that would be just as big, if not bigger, than Frotch Groves if that happens. So wow. I really, really hope Kel Brook, not only because he's a great boxer, I want him to go out there and I want him to win. It'll be really, really hard. You know, he's fighting someone who's got, you know, such talent. Um, but yeah, in the future, Carnbrook it will sell out a stadium easy. Okay. okay, a lot of hatred in boxing. A lot of hatred. Don't like that. Let's go to a more gentlemanly sport, and let's talk cricket. Um, and talk to the gentleman of the room, James Alder. Uh, where do you want to start? Because we, yeah, I know that was completely off. You've off not seen him on a Friday night, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or um, let's let's talk a little bit of controversy um, surrounding Shane Warne's comments about Alistair Cook and his poor captaincy over the last what twelve months now. Um, now we've talked about Cook a lot. We've said, is he really up to it? Um, Warne's just been what, a scathing attack, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's Warne probably reacting 
not very well to to what Cook claimed last week that it was very much a personal attack. I actually think, as as blokes, they've probably got on together quite well, and he does actually say that. Um, if you read the article, it's very strong. It's very strong in its wording and 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 what he's trying to say and get across. But you know, do you find yourself disagreeing with much that he says? You two? Not at all. I don't think. I I don't think he's said anything which is ridiculously uh, unfair. Um, I think. Well, Cook's been poor. He's 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 not hit a run in a long time, and uh, he lost six of the last seven tests. Not really learnt anything from from the uh, whitewash in Australia over Christmas, and um, yeah, his his captaincy has been fairly weak, um, particularly in the well, more, most notably in these two tests against Sri Lanka. It's been very negative and very conservative, and and Sri Lanka they were there for the taking both test matches. I think it's the way in which he says it. And I think he's so abrupt, and we're not used to that in Australian yeah. culture. It's probably fine to be like that and be so open and, uh, you know, like I said, abrupt. But um, you know, I'm just reading some quotes from it now. He just does not get it. I think he called it something like brainless captaincy at Headingley. Um, and I think because it is a gentleman's sport, like you alluded to at the start of this, um, the fact that when you're using words like that and you, you're talking about another, a colleague or someone you played against, someone who's mastered their craft just like you have, and you talk about them in that same sense, in that way, um, people are going to sort of raise their eyebrows. I mean, that, that's why it's going to ruffle feathers. But you know, that's that's what Warren is invariably out to do in in life when he's making a public appearance. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. it's to be expected, and he, and he won't mince his words. But I actually think he he kind of gains respect for that, um, and he, he will make people listen and. You know, this this will get back to Cook and, you know, he's got to have a serious think about what he wants from the role now and, and whether he has the energy to to try and make the changes that he, he needs to make. Um, I think... Jamie, sorry, go on, sorry. go on. Go on. I, 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 just, I just think it's worth bearing in mind that, you know, lots of people defend Cook by talking about the series win in India. Um, Came from one test down to win yeah. series in India for the first time in, for England for such a long time. Phenomenal performance, yeah. and you know, twelve months into his, you know, into his, the start of his his job as captain of England, you know, everyone was singing his praises. But it was actually off the back of some phenomenal individual performances from from Cook himself. You know, he averaged seventy five for the first year of his captaincy, and people were saying happy days. You know, Peterson was hitting some great runs as well, wasn't he? In that Peterson series. was scoring and... runs. You know, there were, Graham Swan was standing up and being counted. He hasn't got that many you know standout performances in, in that team now you know England have lost a lot of their world world class quality over the last 12 months for various reasons you know they've sacked Peterson um, Trot's you know, gone retired Trot's Swan. gone yeah that's that's an enormous hole out of you know that we talk in football we talk about the core of a side it's very much the same with cricket three three out of 11 um, who've just been there for such a long time and and excellent for such a long time and all of a sudden you take them out the side and it, and it just, you know, like you said, it's a gaping hole. Uh, what I wanted to ask was, we talked about the, the, the poor captaincy, particularly at Headingley. Was it really that poor? Was it, I mean, for those who, who weren't aware, I mean, how, how just how bad was it? Well, it's those, you know, test matches, you know, these were tough fought matches, you know, as, as we've said, this isn't, this isn't an England team which, is, which are in a position to be world beaters. But again, Sri Lanka were there to be beaten. Um, you know, you can go back to Lords and people talk about should he have declared earlier. I mean, that's that's a tough one. Um, on on such a flat pitch, it probably would have been a much better idea to leave yourself longer than three sessions to try and bowl a team out. A team that does have two world-class players in Sangakara and Joel Wardner. I think at Headingley, you know, they're, they're probably sort of fairly... You don't have to be a connoisseur of cricket to see, you know, when Angelo, Angelo Matthews and uh, Harath were taking the game away from England, 
um, in that penultimate afternoon that what Cook was trying wasn't working and the bowlers hadn't bought into to whatever this plan was. You know, it appeared at, for long periods of the game like there was no plan. Um, trying to bowl more balls at Angelo Math- uh, uh, Herath wasn't working. Matthews was rotating the strike ground. It was it was incredibly defensive cricket, um, and I just think when things aren't going your way, and, the, and a point that Warren makes in his article is that if you try and be more aggressive, you're probably not going to be far off in terms of what is the right thing to do. Um, and your bowlers, are, you know, you've got guys like Anderson and Broad. We've t- we've spoken about these guys. They're match winners. They're people who will stand up for you in tough situations. Broad took a hat trick. Let's, yeah. let's not forget that he took a hat trick at, at Headingley. Um, he didn't realise it, but one he, of the only players one, ever in a Test match to take a hat trick and not take another wicket in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for long periods of game, he was bowling at about seventy-five mile an hour, which just isn't good enough. But you've got to think about how you inspire those bowlers and how you get the best out of them. And, and Cook isn't able to do that at the moment. You know, asking them to bowl to incredibly defensive fields without very much chance or thought to getting the batsman out—that's not going to get the blood boiling in in Anderson and, and Broad. Um, you know, the, but they, again, you know, England aren't in a position to really, um, you know, for those guys to to sort of make their their feelings heard. So I've got two questions for you, uh, Hammers. The first one was. Um... I think it was only a matter of weeks ago, you were actually going, Cook's the man for the job, he'll be fine. What's changed in the last few weeks for you to have changed your mind? I'm by no means saying that he's not. Mm. I'm not saying that, you know, there should be just a knee-jerk reaction. We need to look to... at it. Yeah, I mean, I, and at that point, the, the point I made was that there's very few options other than to do, other than to stick with Cook, and I, I still maintain that's the case. Um, I, I just feel that, it's, it's got to come from him, you know. He, he's got he's got some players around him that have played a lot of international cricket, um, but they're not necessarily guys that are going to stand up and lead that team. He has to he has to improve, and he's been in the he's, you know he's not six months into the job. This has been three years that Cook has been at the helm now, and this is this is like the first two two series where his his captaincy and his tactical nous has really been tested, and at the moment he's he's falling down. So, and the second thing I was going to say, you know. It's such you can win and lose by such small margins, and we've seen it in this series. Had we won that first test at Headingley, which we so easily could have done, had we managed to uh, salvage a draw in the in the second match, would we still be having these conversations, or would we be saying what an inspiring performance it was by the team, and you know what great captaincy it was for yeah. us to actually come away with? Say Anderson survives those last two balls, you know, it was fantastic. Say Broad's fantastic won in the first test as well. Great, yeah, great test match. Moen Ali, an absolute hero. That that fourth afternoon is still one of the worst periods of international captaincy. But we would have forgotten about that though, wouldn't we, if we had won? I don't think so. No, because England are expected to be better in their own in their home conditions against sides like Sri Lanka. And let's give credit to them too. You know, this is this has all been turned around on one man, which is incredibly unfair. You know, there's eleven blokes out there for England. But there's also eleven players from Sri Lanka who have played an absolute blinder in those two test matches. Um, you know, a bowling attack which at times has has got good international players into real trouble quite unexpectedly you know they're renowned for having quite average seam attacks you know two or three of those guys have performed better than they ever have in test cricket so huge good kudos, on them. huge kudos there Angelo Matthews has been fantastic you know the, what a role reversal you know Angelo Matthews has, has been really inventive with his captaincy and led from the front which is just the two areas where, where Cook has fallen down so why does uh, sorry Jamie, on, why does Warren coming out and criticising Cook and, and the England team you know have such a different impact than when Peterson's come out and said that the same thing I, I think anybody could be you know the fact that it's come from Warren I think just because he is largely regarded as one of having one of the best cricket brains in the game 
you know, he was probably the best international captain that never was. He I'd was say Peterson was one of our best players of the last decade. But he wouldn't might not have been a great captain. He probably showed that he he wasn't. I think you, people when it comes to captaincy issues because people know that Warren was helping people pull the strings in that great Australian team. He was a fantastic tactician and understood the game very well. That's why people will listen to his opinion. You know, one of the true greats of the game. I don't think you can put Peterson in that bracket, to be honest. So Michael Vaughan's been quite critical of of uh, Cook and and the team as well. Where'd you sit on that? Um, I think Michael Vaughan is trying to perhaps place himself as a as a slightly controversial character. You know, he often ends up deleting some of the things that he <laughs> fires off on Twitter. Um, but again, you know, he's he's a he's an England captain that typified a really aggressive approach. If you think about two thousand and five, England really had some balls about them, and won that series by taking on an Australian team which was at its peak by playing aggressive cricket. Um, this attritional brand of cricket doesn't win many people over if you're not winning games, um, and you know, also in those tight situations, it doesn't really allow you to to seize momentum back. Um, and Cook's got to work these things out quickly, and he's got to do it for himself to a certain extent. Well, he's got he's got the opportunity to do that. Uh, we've got a huge five test series coming up against India, um, starting next uh, well Thursday week on the on the ninth, I believe. Um, it's well, it's it's a big test for him. It's a different prospect, obviously, to to um, Sri Lanka, uh, which we had uh, earlier this month. But it's yeah, it's, it's massive now, and uh, well. I'm, I'm not convinced uh, that he's really got what it takes. I mean, as well, you mentioned, actually, we were talking um, uh, yesterday when we were at the Oval. Um, you were saying how it's so hard to captain a test side when you don't have the spinner. We talked about the spinner a lot. We won't go into that at the moment. But it, obviously, it must be difficult because you've got two part-time spinners and then you've got this four, four-man four seam attack. And it, it's, it's tricky. It really is. Yeah, if, you, if you just think about it from a, a workload point of view... Um, you know, when you've you've got Anderson and Broad have probably both bowled upwards of, of fifty overs over the last few weeks, um, and they've, they've then got to be the spearhead for the rest of the summer as well. I actually think the selectors have to be quite proactive in rotating seamers, and you know, probably Stokes and Jordan can swap around, and even people like Broad. You know, Broad's not been fit for the last few months, struggling with a knee injury. You don't want to wear these players out. And well, we've got we've got the yeah those fast bowlers we've got those pacemen there we've got Plunkett like you say you mentioned Stokes he would yep. come back into the side Jordan um, I don't know how close Finn is to, to the side not very okay don't have Finn um, but you know we've got we've got these kind of players and yet yeah, we can we can rotate and yeah that is the area where well where we are really uh, thriving in terms of in terms of the quality and the talent we've got and uh, obviously the top six the top order probably you know should stay the same for this series as well, prior included. So it's all of a sudden it's a very settled side. Moen Ali, what a, he showed oh, great marvelous. character. Absolutely you know, marvelous. He's endeared a lot of England fans with that mm. performance. It's yeah, just I mean, a, it's, it's, there's all of you know. There's, the people are clamouring around to to get on top of Cook at the moment. But if you actually look at how the young players have performed in these first two Test matches, which is probably what before the summer all of us in here were really looking forward to seeing. You know how how will guys like Jordan and Moen Ali fare? You know. It's, it's it's not the toughest test against Sri Lanka. I think India will be much tougher. Um, but but you know, that out like Moen did, yeah, that's, know, against you know, anyone. That was that, stunning. That's really encouraging. You know, that's a, probably a completely different type of innings to you know what he would have had to have played before. Yeah, um, and great to see that he's got that in his locker. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, we had centurions from from Balance and Robson in the series as well, and uh, Joe Root getting a double hundred. Um, before we go, because we will talk properly about um, that test next Monday. 
um, when we're a lot closer and we'll probably know the squad, we'll probably know what kind of team we're going to look at. Um, but obviously, what I mentioned in, in the uh, warm-up matches, um, Sam Robertson's brother getting a century. Um, a good way for the Robson family against really the is, yeah. touring Indian. Indeed. And um, as well, another another sort of a side note, uh, there's likely to be a first um, day-night test match uh, from November 2015. Uh, Australia and New Zealand are planning this. Uh, either Hobart or Adelaide. They use the pink ball, which they've used in the in the Big Bash out there. Um, and it, it was really interesting because you feel like, oh, it's not messing around with the traditions of test cricket as such. But um, the New Zealand uh, cricket chief exec, David Whitey, came out and said since test cricket was played you know, back in the 1800s, there's been a lot of changes to, to the rules. You know, you've had over limits come in, fielding restrictions, um, using helmets, just basic things like that. Um, and uh, changing, you know, no-ball laws and things like that. So, day and night, it's, it's interesting. And it'll get people, you know, watching it. It'll, it'll get people coming and staying for the evening, that kind of thing. And uh, talking the crowds will be up and yeah, test cricket will be up. I, I'm I looking it, forward to it. I see it as a really positive thing. Um, yeah. You know, we, we talk about tradition. One of the most traditional games in the English cricketing fixture has been played in Dubai for the last three years with the pink ball. The, the MCC against the county champions fixture has now been played in Abu Dhabi for a few seasons. Um I think it's good to see the ICC being willing to be proactive with this sort of thing. So I've got no problem with it myself. I mean, I could be quite excited to go to Laws for a day-night test. That sounds, that sounds pretty fun. Rock up at, well, when would you rock up? What, two, three o'clock? Uh, just, like you know, people being able to, you know, it's, it's people's demands on their time are, are much mm. bigger now. You know, being able to finish work at six and go into a session of a test match sounds... Absolutely fantastic. Last I went to the 2020 uh, Hampshire v Surrey at the Oval on Friday, and you know, it was people started at half six, people can finish work, go there, and you're out of there by 10. Um, mm. So, yeah, the, the late sort of starts are great. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you were there on Friday, and uh, myself and Jim were there on, on Sunday watching the, uh, one, the second day of the four day match between those two sides. And yeah, obviously, it's Sunday, and it's just, it was just empty, wasn't it? Was it, it was, was it dead? Yeah, and you feel, I mean, we were talking about it, we were just saying the counties, could they not just drop the ticket prices, just get a load of people in and just go for it for a You'd season? You'd think so, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I mean, what we thought we were saying, like a fiver a ticket and you could rock up and even, yeah, it'd get people interested in cricket. I mean, that's what T20 is there for, to get people interested in cricket. But if they if they want a, a, you know, a taster of, of what, you know, the, the four-day game is like... Dude. One game free, free for you know, free yeah. for anyone under sixteen, free for over seventies. They should, you know, from a marketing point of view, they should be. If they're not getting the crowds at all, mm. um, and I've seen it when I went to Canterbury to see some of the Kent four day games, they just don't get any crowds, and they have all them seats. You just think, just bring them in for free for one day, and you'll see the benefits in the future. Well, yeah, yeah, and they'll get a chance to see people like um, Dilshan, who we were watching yesterday. You know, f- fantastic day of cricket. You know, twenty twenty is very much yes, it's there to get new people into cricket I mean that's the idealistic vision but it's a it's a cash cow really mm. it's where the counties make their money because the county championship struggles and you know, I, I certainly think you know asking people to pay 20 quid to go and watch a day of county championship cricket when there's 300 people in the ground is is pretty rich you lower that price I think that's where you get that core interest in the longer form of the game um, I'd certainly go and watch more of start it a campaign well. boys let's do, let's do it, it. okay free uh, county cricket Free it from its uh, shackles. Anyway, this is uh, Licorice All Sports at Shoreditch Radio. It's all we got time for, I'm afraid. Um, cheers, Cal, and cheers, Jim, Thank you for much. joining us. And don't forget, tweet us at Sports Licorice. We'll put uh, uh, we'll put that Warren article up. We'll put uh, the tennis keepy uppies up and anything else I forgot we mentioned. And uh, you can email us as well, shoreditchsport at gmail.com. 
and uh, we'll be back next week we'll be talking uh, after Murray's retained Wimbledon title uh, we're talking ahead to the, the first test and looking ahead to the semi-finals of the World Cup we'll see you next week <laughs>